Our uh, second scripture for the day is from the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Hear now the word of the Lord. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. In looking over the lectionary readings for this morning, this Acts passage really spoke to me, as it hits on a theme I keep seeing repeatedly in Bible study that the religious and political leaders back in the day of the Israelites, not to be confused with the general population of the Jewish people, just the leadership, the council. How the council continually tried to maintain the status quo of keeping the religious law as written versus following the various provisions of their covenants with God. In fact, over and over in Judeo-Christian history, we see that God finds pleasure with the people when they obey God as the ultimate authority and they live in peace and relative happiness. But when human beings are provided with authority and power, they tend to fail unless they diligently follow God. Looking back from the vantage point of 2019, We can see this pattern over and over. But when one is in the moment, it isn't quite that easy. But in this passage, we do see it. More importantly, Peter sees it and says something about it. And he was definitely in the moment. As a little bit of background, these council members were learned men. They had studied the law. They knew it backwards and forwards. They they formed a sort of religious police and court system, passing judgment on those who were breaking the law as they knew it to be. Humans need law and order to maintain the peace. The Romans apparently were fine with allowing these people who had been previously beaten into submission and were now compliant and self-possessed to be watched over by their high priests. They pretty much authorized the priest to continue what they had been doing. But with authority comes power, and power can do strange things to people. For some, authority and power become a responsibility born with caution and care. For others, It becomes privilege. And I think this specific council 
might have fallen into this category. Now, truly, Jesus came to earth to embody the law and the kingdom in terms that humans could understand and emulate. He said that. But because he did not always follow the letter of the law, these particular leaders interpreted Jesus as something of a phony and even a blasphemer. Only God could do the things that Jesus was taking on himself to do. They did not recognize that because Jesus was and is the word, it's a violation of his nature to be anything but God. That Jesus had gained such popularity and could perform such wondrous signs and miracles had caused these council members to feel a little bit threatened. Jesus had not behaved as the Messiah they expected or wanted. Jesus hadn't advocated an overthrow of the secular government so that the Israelite people could be a sovereign nation once again. No, he said something entirely different, and it was a bit at odds with what these leaders taught and practiced. So, these men, with their high religious titles, decided that Jesus had to die. Now, once Jesus was out of the way, these cowards must have thought themselves free of the challenge, and they might have even thought things were getting back to normal. They were still in charge, still issuing orders and expecting them to be obeyed. All was just beginning to quiet down until they saw Peter and his associates in action. Oh, my goodness. They were doing the same things Jesus had done. Well, this had to be stopped immediately. So as Luke writes in chapter 4 of Acts, the high priest predictably, predictably confronts Peter, forbidding him to preach and teach in the name of Jesus ever again. And just as predictably, Peter and his friends ignored the priest and kept right on doing it. The high priest had them arrested, and thrown into the temple prison. But while Jerusalem slept, an angel of the Lord appeared in the cell, opened it to allow the apostles to return to the temple and continue their preaching and teaching, in fact, instructing them to do so. But then the angel restored the cell as if nothing had happened. No one knew until the council called for the prisoners the following morning. But when the guards returned, they were not accompanied by the apostles. I imagine they were beside themselves in desperation, probably reporting something like, we just don't understand it. The doors were still locked and bolted. The guards were still in their assigned places. But when we opened the door, the prisoners were gone. According to the writer of Acts, the council members were muttering quietly, what in the world is going on here? But I cannot help but believe that the council saw the parallel between the empty cell and the empty tomb, and they knew exactly what was happening, and they didn't like it, not one little bit. Another messenger 
reported in that the apostles were back at the temple preaching and teaching about Jesus again, so the guards were sent to retrieve them. And that's where the passage picks up. But rather than inquire about how the apostles had escaped, the high priest begins to question Peter about why he continued to preach and teach after being specifically and strictly ordered not to do so. To use a recent vernacular, Peter scores the ultimate burns with his answers. He begins by saying, we must obey God rather than any human authority. By saying this, he is putting the council on notice that unless the council's instructions agree with God's instructions, don't expect any cooperation from the apostles. And then he goes on obeying God's instruction by telling Jesus' story to the high priest and the council, not that he necessarily thought they would believe, but so they, the council members, would understand Jesus' authority. Peter reminds the council that they share a common ancestry and history. These men who doggedly hung on to the law would be very familiar with the stories. They'd been teaching them for years. From creation, the covenant with Abraham, the eventual slavery in Egypt, the 40 years in the wilderness led by Moses, the times of the kings and the prophets, the eventual downfall of the kingdoms of Israel, into the exile and up to their current lives under Roman rule. Yes, the high priest would have been quite familiar with all of that. But I do wonder if the members of the council were ever cognizant of the reasons for the downfalls of the Israelite people time after time, as predicted by the prophets of old. Peter reminded them that the God of their mutual ancestors had sent Jesus, had raised him up. The council was familiar with Jesus, and they knew of his teachings and the miracles he had performed. They deemed him dangerous enough to their way of life that they conspired with the Romans to hang Jesus on a tree. While the actual term for what happened to Jesus is crucifixion, the binding or nailing a person on a cross to die, hanging is another form of public execution. And what Peter describes here is hanging, but in either case, it's a brutal form of public execution. He then decided how and why Jesus has the authority that the council does not have. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Peter has already discussed how this God is the same God that their mutual ancestors followed. The God of our ancestors exalted Jesus, putting Jesus at the right hand of God the Almighty. This is the placement of a partner or a peer, certainly not a lesser entity. Jesus continues to forgive sins from the afterlife. At this point, the word Savior is attributed to Jesus for the first time recorded in Acts. Peter informs the council that Jesus has saved sinners, delivering the Israelites who obey God, which is the very definition of Messiah. But probably the most devastating answer Peter gave was the one with which he closed. 
and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. These words indicate to the council that Peter and the apostles knew Jesus quite well, working with Jesus in his earthly mission. The council had watched from a safe distance, but had gauged everything Jesus said and did against the letter of the law of Moses. They pounced from a legalistic basis on every law he broke. Never mind that the councils broke few of them themselves. After all, they went after Jesus for performing miracles and forgiving sins, actions reserved for God alone as blasphemy. This had been the last straw for the council, and since their law had no provisions for executing someone, they had to equate what Jesus had been saying and doing as a form of treason against the Romans who did have such provisions. But it is Peter's assertion that, the Holy, that those who obey God have been given the Holy Spirit that is the most crushing of all. The Holy Spirit has witnessed everything throughout history. Since the Holy Spirit was only given to those who obey God, it must have been clear to this council that since they had not received the Holy Spirit, it meant they had not obeyed God. They had been reduced to the status of leaders of a lesser entity, and one can only imagine how displeased and angry they were with Peter saying it flat out. This morning's passage ends on this note, but here's what happens next. The writer of Acts finishes chapter 5 with the discussions of the council regarding the sentence to be given to Peter and the unrepentant associates. The council is described as being enraged. But one of their number, a man named Gamaliel, stood up to say the following. Fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. In the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, and in that case, you might even be found fighting against God. The council relents and punishes the apostles with a flogging and lets them go. The apostles rejoiced that they had been deemed worthy of a flogging for Christ. You remember Jesus told us, blessed are you when people revile and curse you in my name. So they were very happy that they had been deemed worthy of a flogging. And they went on and continued to defy the council by telling the story of Jesus for the rest of their lives. The story of Jesus, his earthly life and ministry, and most importantly, his victorious resurrection from the dead on Easter, has survived now for over 2,000 years. In order for it to continue to survive, believers have to keep telling it for those who have not heard it or perhaps have let it slip from the fronts of their minds. The story is not of human origin, it is of God. In fact, it is God. 
Therefore, it cannot fail. But sometimes it does feel as if the evil in our world has overtaken the good. We must remember that while it is tempting to use the fact that we are to obey God before any human authority as an excuse for civil disobedience, there may still be consequences to those actions if we take them up. We may receive the equivalent of flogging, but we must evaluate what is done in our names as to whether those actions are of God or if they are of human authority. If they're of human authority, perhaps they may be evil. If the actions agree with what Jesus told us to do, they are good and of God. If they do not, the actions are not from God. And one must decide if those in authority on our behalf deserve our obedience. If we disobey or protest, we may be heard, but we may also suffer consequences. If we're truly acting on God's instructions, such consequences of disobedience may be viewed as a badge of honor. You see, we can take heart because by obeying God and by telling God's story, we are following a path that cannot fail. That's what Peter and his fellow associates did in this passage and what they continued to do for the remainder of their earthly lives. It is what Christians have done for centuries and how the church of Jesus Christ has survived. And it is what we must do. That's how we answer to a higher authority. May all glory and honor be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.